Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week on the Mike Wise Show, we have a former player, coach, executive, and all-around smart guy, and he's ready to check in. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? That's correct, Darlene. It's very good to be back. Thank you. Thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, for holding it down the past couple of weeks while I took some time to focus on fixing the world and ridding it of team mascots and racist nicknames. Mission partially accomplished. I hope all of you have remained vigilant in battling the COVID-19 pandemic and your family and friends are all healthy and safe. But basketball is back this week, and I am so ready to talk hoops again. This week's guest is a repeat offender, having been my guest last September. He's one of the most versatile and intelligent basketball minds in the world. Played college ball at the University of Pennsylvania and was a third-round draft pick of the 76ers in 1971. After his seven-year NBA career, he was an assistant coach for the Showtime Lakers, as well as eight other teams. He was named head coach of the New Jersey Nets at the age of 36. He's been an executive with the Heat, the Celtics, the Clippers, and he has two NBA championship rings with the 85 Lakers and the 2008 Celtics. Did we leave anything out, Dave Wall? Welcome to the Mike Wise Show. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. I know you're sheltering in Hermosa Beach, California. What's that been like? Um, and, and, and I trust that you and your family are healthy uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, everybody's been healthy. And I think the biggest thing for me is the same thing that for a lot of people is, you know, finding new routines. Um, mm. you know, for me, gyms were closed, so I had to find a new home routine to work out. I'm fortunate that I live in an area where I can go on a long walk where I don't run into a lot of people. Uh, I have a rowing machine that I have a love-hate relationship with, but I still <laughs> do it. And the uh, funniest thing that happened was uh, I went almost four months without being able to get a haircut. And it was getting down to, you know, am I going to do a ponytail or a man bun? And I was asking my daughters which they thought I might look better in. <laughs> well, uh, God bless you. You still have hair. I, uh, <laughs> I grew mine out as much as I could. And I had a big horseshoe in the middle of my forehead and I, I looked like one of those seventh grade high school principals in Oklahoma that just yells <laughs> at kids. It was not a good look at all. Um, but at any rate, uh, you, I, are you ready for this? Bad? I, I don't know what it is, maybe because I've been so uh, preoccupied with other things. Basketball coming back in the middle of July, it just seems so foreign. I'm sure I'll get into it once the games get going. And and the drama of it all happens, but it just it to me it just feels like the, the whole Orlando bubble feels like a big AAU tournament uh, in the middle of the summer in Vegas, and uh, it just happens to be instead of 16, 17 year old kids trying to get scholarships and, and shoe contracts, these are the best players in the world. Where, where are you on it? You know, I, I think every NBA fan is is really ready to see what this looks like, but it's really going to look different, especially off the court. 
I think on the court, hopefully the games really elevate their play, but I think it's going to take till almost the beginning of the playoffs or the end of the first round of the playoffs to really get some stride and consistency and feel back in their games. Um, I think if fans are expecting elite level games right away or in the next week or two, I, I think they'll be disappointed. You know, as, as far as the bubble, I, I thought that they really did as well, as good a job as they possibly could. Yeah. Look, the NBA has a lot of smart people. And I think they sat there, they had a lot of discussions about what are the best practices that A, we can keep everybody safe and B, still play games. And I, I think they, they knocked those things around. And I've been to Orlando. It's, it's probably the best setup they could have gotten at, at the place they're going to play because it's big enough. There's a bunch of hotels. They can isolate and do all those things. But, you know, it's still going to look very different. And I think the biggest thing which will determine their success is will the players obey the protocols? Will everybody buy into the process? Because, look, the, it, this is a long time to be to be in place. You know, if you go all the way, I think the finals are October 12th, the end or something, yeah. you're going to be there three months. Hey, you're, mean, you're, it's almost like Survivor. Yeah, uh, it's, it's except you're crazy. actually eating five star meals and you're in a resort town um, where or oh, this is the weird thing to me is and I don't and I hope I'm sure it's going to get better. But there's a, there's a part of me that sort of Adam Silver's always ahead of the curve um, in terms of societal issues and yeah. most progressive commissioner I've ever been around, even more so than David Stern. And. And I look at this and I, and I almost feel like, well, yeah, everybody wants sports to happen again. But to me, there is a little bit of tone deafness when so much is going on when outside of that bubble that involves uh, hospitals not having enough beds for patients. And Florida having such a spike in the COVID-19 um, crisis that I'm just going, geez, you know, I... I it really is the bubble. I mean, you're in a you're in a different reality, not just a basketball bubble. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think they're you know in a lot of ways this push to to try and get the the games going again. Look, some a good portion of it's driven by financial things. I don't think anybody can say it isn't because if it wasn't, if there were no financial implications to it, I think basically worrying about the health. And it's not just the health. I mean, think about all the other things going on right now that affect pl players as well as everybody else. Because if players think, well, he's just an athlete, he doesn't get affected by all the things that go on in society, they're so wrong. So it's going to be interesting if they can pull this off in a very positive way. And even with some of the Black Lives Matters uh, messages, it's going to be interesting if they can find a way for the platform to echo uh, strong points and not with so many viewpoints or so many different messages, it kind of gets dissipated, you know, and it kind of doesn't take really the force it could with this. So I think there's a lot of things in play here, but I, I still think you're going to find it's so difficult for some players to spend that time, you know, in one place. Yeah. And I think all, you speak to this better than anybody, given your coaching history and your, your years in the league. How do, how do you, if you're a coach, how do you, how do you manage this? How do, how do you manage expectations? How do you, how do you not overwork a guy too soon? That's uh, that's, that's clearly not in the shape that he is. How do you, how do you get a guy up for a big game? I, you know, I look, I, I look at everything happening and I, I truly think it's a crapshoot. Although going into the off season before pre global pandemic, I was excited about a possible Milwaukee Lakers or Clippers final, 
now I like I could see Brad Stevens is so prepared. I could see Boston in there. I right. could, you know, I, I could see uh, Bruce Bernstein's putting his thumbs up in the background. The pathetic <laughs> he is, uh, but but I, I like it's it that part of it. It reminds me of the uh, shoot the 1990-50 game, 1999-50 game season. Right where it was just, you know, it was almost survival of the fittest until you got to the playoffs. But think about that year. There weren't all these other things going on, too. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, there was there a lot sheltering in place. Was, yeah, less <laughs> games. There, there were no limits on what you could do outside of basketball. I, I think this is just, you know, so different. But for the coaches, I do think the one thing that's going to be consistent for them is once they get into their games, once they they come out of training camp, it's going to be coaching, and they're going to look at each player, and they're going to um, you know look at uh, and discuss with their director of team performance. They're going to um, talk with their trainers. They're going to do a lot of different things that allow them to make decisions on how many minutes can I play so and so. You know, how much um, should I work him in a practice? Should I give this team a day off even though things are shorter? And I think that one thing that's going to affect some coaches is. There are some teams, Mike, that don't need to win any of these eight games or mm -hmm. very many. You know, they're in the playoffs. It's a matter of, oh, if I win one or two more, I get a certain seed. The teams that are fighting to stay in the playoffs or get in the playoffs, those are the coaches that may feel, hey, I got to play guys more minutes to get in the playoffs. Mm. We got to win that game. We got to win these games. So they you're, right, you're right. Those eight games, it's almost like a load management situation, yeah. but there is no load management. It's just, I can rest my guys, and for for once in a long time, you can't say that um, resting LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard is a is a disservice to fans because there are none. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Essentially, rest your guys, and there's no problem. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting how this shakes out in a lot of ways because I, I think the coaches may be the ones that fall into kind of their own um, you know usual method of what they do every day the easiest. Hmm. Um, what are the keys for success in such a unique season like this? Balanced scoring, defensive excellence, quality depth, half-court teams versus running teams. Is there anything that uh, stands out to you? Or is, or is this such a, oh, shoot, uh, an anomaly that you just you can't predict in anything? No, I think because the, the games are going to be the games. So uh, everything else is going around the games and kind of swirling around and everything. But once you actually get into the games – um, one of the things I really believe in for this series, uh, for this season, I should say, is that I think the teams that are the mentally toughest teams are going to have a big advantage because the bubble is really challenging. And there are going to be a lot of players in this bubble who get very frustrated, who get very discouraged, who get disappointed. My, my, my food came up, my room service, my burger was cold. Uh, my Wi-Fi is too slow. I watched every movie in the hotel. I can't get anybody to play ping pong with me today. And those players are going to struggle because it's going to sap their energy in a lot of different ways. And the players on the, on, on the teams that probably are going to compete for the titles who can look at an obstacle here and say, you know what, I'm going to get around it, over it, under it, or through it. Those teams have a big advantage. The other thing is that uh, statistically, championship teams have been good at both ends of the floor, offensive and defense. Mm -hmm. So I think the teams that have a balanced approach that can win games with their offense, 
can certainly play great defense when their offense is struggling and keep them in the game, maybe towards the end of the game. And then their offense only has to pick up for two or three minutes. I think the teams that have multiple position versatility defensively with a number of their players have an advantage because then if one of your best defenders gets in foul trouble, they can move someone else onto them. You know, a great example, just to use the Clippers is, you know, Kawhi can play a point guard. He can play a two. He can play a three. Paul George can do the same thing. Patrick Beverly can play multiple. So I think the teams that have those kind of guys have an advantage. Um, I also think that one of the things that, that comes along is you have to be able to have a, a scorer, a guy who can create his own shot down the stretch of games. And not just his shot, but he creates a shot, he gets to the foul line, or he makes the right pass if the defense comes over to help. The teams that have those guys in tight games in the fourth quarters, I think they'll have an advantage. I don't think it's as much about pace. I, I really don't. I think it's going to be about execution because it's a short training camp. It's a short regular season. I think coaches are going to stress execution and spacing. And, of course, the last thing, shooters. If you yeah. make your shots – you got a great chance to advance. If you don't make your shots, you're probably out of the bubble sooner than later. Yeah. I saw J.R. Smith, um, uh, I don't know, complaining about something. And I'm thinking to myself, J.R., take it easy. <laughs> you just joined the best, possibly the best team in basketball. You certainly joined the best player of his generation again. And you're probably, you know, you're, you're along for a ride here. And Oh, my gosh. The guy's got it all. You know, and, and you're, you're going to get shots. Uh, you're going to get shots because uh, LeBron is Mr. Kick and Penetrate now. And I, you know, I just, I don't know. I, um, I think you're right. There's so many shooters out there that are going to. Um, there's so many guys that are going to make a difference. I, you know, we've been taking the optimistic approach so far, but the fear we all have is that an outbreak of the virus could cause illness for players and teams, like you said, uh, staying in the bubble. The league has contingency plans for continuing play, even if there are positive tests. But this is such a dangerous X factor that it could cause the whole thing to implode. Have you heard anything about red lines and where they might be um, in regard to that? Well, I, I think the biggest red line is probably um, in Adam Silver's mind in terms of, is there a number of players that um, become positive that just becomes overwhelming and yeah. it doesn't make any sense to keep playing. So I, I think, and I think only Adam probably knows what that number is. And I'm sure he doesn't want to put it out publicly because there's a lot of other factors that might go into that. Um, the other red lines that might come up um, are, let's say you get into the playoffs and let's say, just to take an extreme example, let's say the start of the finals and just for argument's sake, and I don't want to get bad calls from Milwaukee and all the other challenging teams, it's Lakers Clippers. Right. Okay, in the finals. And the day before the finals are supposed to start, LeBron, AD, Kawhi, and Paul George all test positive. <laughs> do you keep playing the finals or do you call a do-over? I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you're, well, you're, you, you bring up something so, uh, so important, which is the integrity of the competition. When and, if it, when and if it's going to be compromised. And to me, I don't care what team it is, the moment, the moment a key reserve or a star, but even a key reserve goes down. A guy that's in the rotation, seven or eight players, he goes down and the G League player take, comes up. Boy, the integrity of the competition is is definitely at stake there. And I, and if I'm, a, if I'm a fan, I'm going, eh, this thing is just, yeah, it was for the money. Let's be honest. There's an asterisk here, 
and 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 there's an asterisk on the world this year. It's certainly going to be in the NBA, whoever wins the title or not. But uh, yeah, I have a I mean, the whole notion of just when training camp's going on, playing a finals is crazy to me. But maybe I'll get used to it. Maybe I'll be enthralled and I'll watch. Mike, one thing I'll disagree with you. I don't think this season deserves an asterisk. If anything, I think it deserves a big gold star, mm-hmm. whoever wins this. And I'll tell you why. There have never been so many things going on that are so challenging in the, in the world right now as they're trying to come back and play. Not only were they off for three months, weren't even be able to play. So in their profession, there's a huge challenge coming up. You've got, you know, the pandemic. You've got Black Lives Matter. They're, they're striving for equality still. You've, you've got the economy. You've got unemployment, a huge unemployment. You've got businesses closing left and right. And I'm sure healthcare. I'm sure I'm missing one. And you've got a crazy election that nobody knows how this is going to come out. And we've got troops in this, federal troops in the street. So the team that can somehow focus and get through all these things that affect the players as much as any other person in the in the country, I think deserves a gold star more than talk about an asterisk because you're going to have to just be like laser-like focus about doing your job. And at the same time, you're still going to be trying to care and be affected by all these other things. Bruce, I want to take on Dave Wall right now and just tell him to shove it and he's completely wrong and just do a first take episode. But he's actually got some good merit and good points in there. I can't fault him. I think the Black Lives Matter thing is huge. There's no bigger uh, uh, league. There's no but with more percentage of African-American players. And and many of them have come out and said, like, I'm more worried about getting justice for Breonna Taylor than I am winning a title right now. And I think you're right. That's so much on the mind of so many players. And while it's easy to say that the court becomes a sanctuary, this has just been the most shoot. I I can't imagine a more emotional two months in America um, than when I was four years old in 1968. And everybody talks about that. I couldn't, you know, I didn't know what was going on, but my father and my mother talked about it. And, and, um, and so I, yeah, I just, uh, it's been such a, it's been such a wild time politically, socially, culturally, racially, that um, all these players are affected by it. And I think that's a, that's a very good point that they're, that getting through this is a, it requires not just the physical survival, but real emotional, psychological survival as well. You know, Mike, I spent 43 years in the league. And like you said, this has basically been a black league. And and I was very fortunate in terms of being able to get an education far more than a lot of people because I was a minority. I was a white guy in the league. But I had a lot of great teammates who told me stories of them growing up and, and the things they went through mm-hmm. and staff members that I worked with. So I got to see the other side very early as I started out. And I'll, I'll never forget Calvin Murphy, um, who was my teammate when I was playing for Houston. Calvin told me that his his lunch every day was two pieces of Wonder Bread with maple syrup in between. And that's all his mom could afford. That was his lunch every single day. And that is by far the worst of them. But I, I tried to put myself in those situations sometimes. So I know that the players are are just like they're they're thinking about doing other things. This is something that affects them on so many levels because it's been going on for so long. And I think the opportunity for them to try and play these games and hopefully get a message out that resonates 
if they can do that, I think they will feel that they've really accomplished something. If you don't know, Dave Wall won a, a championship with the Los Angeles Lakers in 85. Was there another title as well uh, on another level, Dave? Yeah, I had uh, I got a ring with the Celtics in 2008 with KG Pierce. Oh, that's right. Why am I seeing the Celtics raising the trophy at the end of this? What, what, am, I, am I prescient or am I out of my mind? I think you're probably somewhere in between, Mike, because I, I don't know if they're good enough to win it. Um, I think one thing they really miss, and, and this goes for a number of teams, but I, I would put Boston right up there because having gone through two finals with L.A. Boston when I was with the Lakers, they lose the home court advantage. And in Boston, that's mm. absolutely huge. I mean, these are the craziest, loudest, especially when you get to the playoffs. I mm. think the Celtics and also Utah, where nobody likes playing it, uh, against Utah at home because the fans are just as nuts and never get off your team. And there's a couple other teams that have good home court advantages. But I think that's a big thing when the Celtics could end up missing three or four home games and not have that crowd each uh, playoff season. Yeah, that is a throaty crowd. Uh, yeah, I get it. I still like Jason Tatum. I also like Jason Bateman from uh, Ozark, but I really like Jason Tatum. I think he's he's maturing as a clutch player all the time, and I think he's young and durable enough to go through the whole uh, go through the whole playoffs. Yeah, I, I like I said, I think Boston is one of the teams that has an outside chance, mm -hmm. um, but I think there are some teams like uh, to me the Lakers, the Clippers. Milwaukee are probably the three I think have the depth mm. and the experience and the the star level players to probably get there. But there's there's a bunch of other teams that are playing well enough during the season and they showed it. Toronto, Oklahoma City, Denver. You know, um, I know I'm missing Houston and some others. Houston, Philly. yeah, Phil. Well, Philly has a lot of questions. I think I think there's a lot of questions about Philly. Um, as to how good they really are, can they put together a consistent, continual, you know, playoff after playoff series? Houston, it'll be fun to see if Mike D'Antoni is going to really go with real small ball again, or he's ah. going to manipulate the offense a little differently. You know, OKC has certainly played well enough to upset some teams. Boston's in there. Toronto has had a great season up to when it stops. So I do think there's a second level just behind those three that I pointed out. And the team that I really want to want to watch a little bit because I think uh, they're kind of really intriguing is Dallas. No pressure on them. Doncic and Porzingis. That team, if those guys are playing right and they catch a team that just isn't there, they could they could pull some upsets. Oh, that would be that'd be so fun. And Jalen Brunson's nice little uh, yeah. uh, Rick Carlisle. I mean, it's just so there's some big great storylines there. Oh, and Cuban would just hog the spotlight. It'd be crazy. We'd have to get him on again, Bruce. We'd have to get him on again, wouldn't we? I mean, he, Cuban was Cuban was 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 really good when he came on, and not just the issues and everything else. He almost gave me a Shark Tank contract for baking, and uh, I never saw that coming, Dave. I didn't. Um, I, you're one of the things uh, you've done well in your career, besides uh, coaching playing is uh, as an executive and I just have to I just have to ask you since the season will end in October the draft and free agency windows are both both pushed back as a team executive what challenges do GMs face in a, in a condensed offseason well if you'd start with the draft um, one of the things that was taken away from them to a great degree was the ability to really watch players live 
throughout the entire season. That's a big thing they want their scouting departments to do. And the GM usually will go and look at the top guys that they might be considering, um, you know, in the draft. So they were left with a lot of film to watch. The interview process or the draft workout process, which usually follows before the, you know, once the college season is over, those things were eliminated. So the ability to kind of get your hands on guys and touch them, talk to them face to face in interviews, you know, it, it really was eliminated. So I think a lot of them tried to go to Zoom interviews or other things. The league put a lot of restrictions on what they could do. So it's going to be interesting after October where the pandemic is and what the league might allow in terms of going forward with, with draft prospects. Will you be able to have an interview outside in a nice meadow, six feet apart, you know, with masks on? Um, will you be able to bring an individual in for a workout? Because usually teams would bring six guys in and they'd play yeah. three and three and do other things. Well, now will it be just one guy at a time, sanitize the court and everything after he goes, bring in another <laughs> guy? So it's going to be very interesting what the league thinks or where the pandemic is and other things are as to what they'll allow for the draft. I, I just want go ahead. I cut you off. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it's got to be driving the college kids crazy because by this time you're usually by the end of October, you're usually in training camp starting your, your first professional rookie season. Well, that and yeah, and I think that, yeah, you don't get to show your wares. I feel I feel rotten for all the college kids, not just the not just the the NBA players that are dying to have closure to their season, but shoot, right. all the kids that are seniors, all the kids that didn't get a chance to play for a national title. Uh, I, you know, and on, on all levels, it's, uh, you know, I, I was so worried about my own son's nine-year-old junior Olympic backstroke finals. Uh, and, um, and, and all of a sudden the world shut down three days later yeah. and it really didn't look so big anymore. And uh, this is where we are. Re you know, regarding that, I, I think things are going to just be so different and the bubble has this sterility to it. And, and I don't know what the vibe is like down there. I, I guess it would be sort of almost Olympic-like where you're not getting the crowd, you're not getting the noise or anything that you would think, but there's a, there's a genuine feeling of something's going on. And uh, yeah, it just, there just seems, it seems like it's gonna be so sterile, uh, literally and figuratively that um, I'm, I'm worried about the quality of play and whether people are gonna be into this. Well, watching the exhibition games or the scrimmage, I guess you call them the other day, um, it's definitely a different look. You know, the players are separated, three rows of seating, the coaches mm -hmm. are on their bench, guys that weren't dressing for the game had masks on. Um, you know, it's a, it's a completely different look. And I remember uh, all the empty stands reminded me when Doc Rivers was in Orlando and I was Doc's assistant coach, Doc started <laughs> the Orlando Summer League, co Summer League, where we didn't allow fans in. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to tell me that the, the magic was so bad then that they had no. nobody in the seats. You guys were very, you guys were exciting back then. Yeah, but they didn't allow fans into that summer league in Orlando. So it was just NBA personnel and, the, and it was quiet, just mm. like the scrimmage was. But you see all these things going up on the boards on the sideline. But the thing I think they'll miss doing it this way, besides the home court advantage, is you miss the energy of the bench. You know, if you think about the games yeah. where the bench guys are up waving a towel after a dunk or something, there's a certain energy yeah. that comes from the bench. Or when you come back to a timeout and a guy's down, he missed a couple of shots, somebody on the on the bench will grab him, try and pump him up. So I, I think they're going to miss that. But there are also some things that were kind of 
I don't want to use the word funny, but odd, because there was one time out where all the players were left standing. It was near the end of the game, might have been the 22nd. They were all standing, and the bench guys came out of their chairs and kind of stood behind them. So there was really no distancing. And then when the game <laughs> ended, the two opposing teams walked by each other and shook hands. Oh, like no. They would do. A couple of them shook hands. And I think there are these things that probably are going to take a little time just to get ironed out, you yeah. know, that maybe. But that's going to be part of this process. But it is, I think the games, once the games get on the court and the guys get on the court, they'll be fine. But the surrounding area with no noise and stuff is, is yeah. definitely different. That, the, the handshake thing, he had the whole, gosh, think of all this handshakes that LeBron came up with different teammates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't get away with that. But yeah. the, the NBA is like, forget about the basketball and it, irrespective of whether you know it and been a part of it and know it's the greatest game on earth and it combines the sublime choreography of team teamwork and, and skill and athleticism and, and, and all these great things about it. The NBA is cultural, you know. It's it's yeah. guys walking toward the locker room in the in the most outlandish Russell Westbrook suit of all time, or 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 a LeBron uh, a LeBron new headphone that everybody's jumping on, you know, the, their internet to get. I mean, I, I that the, some of that I, I they're they're going to be showmen still, but I don't think they can go to the level that they did before on so many levels. And I'm wondering if the game can sell itself um, or you know what? I bet you. I bet you. ESPN and TNT. They're they're creative enough. Well, they'll come up with some different things. That'll... Yeah, that's going to be the. I think where the creativity comes in, and uh, I think for the players, you know, all of them have played in the summers with no, with mm -hmm. no fans as they were growing up. So I, I think once they cross the lines, their whole focus is going to be on the game. Usually, most of the players can can uh, kind of hold the noise off the court anyway. It doesn't affect them as much. So it's just going to be interesting as they move forward. A, can everybody stay with the protocols and the process? B, how quickly the players can get into game condition? Because game condition, a lot of people might think it's, oh, they just need to get their shooting and their dribbling. It's really about the banging and the bumping. You're fighting through a screen. You're getting somebody leaning on you all the time. And you now have to make moves with an extra 200 pounds plus on you. And that's the timing they don't have. Think about this, Mike. I don't know since they stopped the, the play yeah. how many players have had the ability to work out consistently or B, play any one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two -two until they got back to the training camp. Even when they mm. opened the facilities, they didn't let you play one-on-one. -on -one. So just that timing of how do I defend a defender? How do I move my feet? Uh, you know, all that stuff is going to take a little time to get those rhythms back um, because this is the first time they've ever had this long a layoff. Yeah, this this is by far the longest layoff. Um, I, I'm, I'm amazed it's the guys who stayed in shape. I've already, I myself, I've put on the quarantine 15 easily. Um, <laughs> I, I know you've kept in shape, Dave, because you live on the beach and your life is basically a fairy tale at this point. Um, <laughs> I, you know, but really, can you accelerate that kind of conditioning? How can you do that? Um, I don't think you can accelerate it. I think what they're going to use is is the t statistics they get from, you know, some of the loads and everything to make sure that they're on the right side of overdoing it. Because mm -hmm. if you try and get a guy in shape for two weeks and all you do is run them and do a lot of other things, you, you risk injury more than anything else. And they'll live with a guy maybe playing less minutes in the beginning. And like I said, it depends on where your team is in the standings. If 
you can do more of that than less of that. So I think there's going to be a lot of factors that go into like, how many minutes do we play this guy? Can we play this lineup a little more overall? Um, that they're going to have to talk with their staff and everything and, and make some decisions about. It's uh, what, what, what a track meet it's going to be. I mean, what a, what a, what a track meet. Um, all right. Uh, I'm going to go with lightning round here. <laughs> I want to, I'm going to ask you for your MVP. Oh, wow. Uh, are we talking about the season, the MVP for the season that they played? Yeah, season that's yeah. happened so far. If you had yeah. to, if you, I, it doesn't really count. It's one of these, pro- probably it's, it's a right. mid-year thing at this point with, with all the games that'll be played still. I, I probably would go with Giannis. Yeah. Yeah. I, Giannis, I just, okay. Yeah. I just think the other, you know, there's a, a lot of, um, excellent choices you know you can go to LeBron you can go some of the guys on the Clippers you can probably go with some of the guys on the other teams I I just don't think Giannis and I'm not trying to discredit anything on Milwaukee I don't think he's got another running mate that's like at the level of AD or the level of Paul George or the level of some of the other guys yeah even though they've got a number of great players and they've had a terrific season so I I would probably go with him yeah, I would say this. That if, if you, they always said you could make Michael Jordan the MVP every year, but if the most valuable player is the most valuable player to that team, yeah. I think you're right. Giannis has got to be the guy. LeBron's had an incredible turn-back-the-clock season. Right. Uh, he's He was obviously embarrassed about everything that happened a year ago, and he, he's clearly come back to show that he's not all about entertainment and, 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 and other issues, that he made his bones in basketball, and he's still very good at it. Um, coach of the year. Um, you know, I, I probably am going to pick somebody. I mean, look, there's a lot of guys – uh, especially the guys with the top records, I, I might go with Rick Carlisle. Okay. I just think Rick has done a really good job uh, bringing Doncic along. He's gotten Porzingis to really play. He's blended those guys in with some veterans. And I just think they've, they they kept growing and growing. And I, I really like the job he did. He just moved on gracefully from Dirk. I mean, one of the, <laughs> the greatest players of all time, they kept him and, and they, you know, they he knew it was going to be the end and, but yeah, they've, they've seamlessly, he probably was waiting for him to go, but he was sort of like, Derek, you can play as long as you want. Right. Um, rookie of the year. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I know there's been so know, many. Yeah. I, I like Morant a lot. Um, Zion had some injuries and things. Uh, so, uh, you know, probably... Zion's the most spectacular, but yeah, I, but Moran is Morant's had a longer season and he's, Shoot, he's uh, I, I, he's been so fun to watch, and I think he's been a he's been one of the big reasons why Memphis has done so well. So he would probably be my choice. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Defensive Player of the Year, I'm going to say Kawhi because he's just like you said, he can defend any position. He's uh, he's he's so versatile and uh, he's just been so good. I, I think I would give it to Kawhi. Yeah, I, I like him and Paul George, both of them. I think that's Paul George is, yeah. you know, really just you, you look at their team. They can put a lot of good defenders on the floor. I think Paul is uh, like Kawhi, a multi-position defender. You know, Patrick yeah. Beverly obviously gives him another defender. But those two guys, I think because of their ability to just guard size and speed at different positions you've got to put them right up there on your list and the and your and my final one the executive of the year i i think it's got to be lawrence frank i really do i i think having been there 
and knowing what Lawrence brought, you know, and, and uh, his name doesn't appear too much on some of those things. And there are other guys who've done a great job, but, you know, you pull in Kawhi, you pull oh. in Paul George, and you have to make a tough decision. You give up, you know, about 47 first round picks to, to get all those guys. You've helped change the, the culture of that franchise. Uh, he's worked with an owner in Steve Ballmer that he's helped to educate, I think, along the way. And Steve's been a terrific owner. Um, he's got a great relationship with his head coach and Doc Rivers. And so I, I would put Lawrence at the top of the list. Can we actually throw Lee Jenkins in there, too? My sports writing brethren. <laughs> who, I don't know. How, I don't know what he did, but it's, it, it, I know he's written profiles on both those guys and maybe they liked him and they made the decision because of Lee. And I think that every franchise should now hire a sports writer for triple figures because we're worth it. No? Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I think Lawrence, one of the things Lawrence does really well too is I think he's always looking to like stretch the envelope. Like, what could we add that would give us value, but maybe no one else has thought about? And yeah, I think one of those guys, and he's probably made some other, you know, things too. And I, I just think that's one of the reasons he's he's constantly looking. Okay, we're really good, but how can I make us better? Yeah. Well, Dave Wall, as usual, this has been great. Um, you're not just the pride of East Brunswick, New Jersey. You played at the Great Palestra, and you were, I believe, you were selected in the third round of the '71 draft by the 76ers. Is that correct? That's correct. The best player you ever played with, I want to say, was hmm, Bob uh, Bob Lanier. Um, I didn't play with Bob. I was an assistant coach on Milwaukee. I played one year with Moses. Moses Malone, when he was first, his first year in the league with Houston. Oh, with the Rockets. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Moses uh, turned out to be just, you know, one of the all-time greats. And you missed, uh, I guess you would have missed uh, Julius with the Nets. I missed Julius with the Nets. In fact, Julius and I actually played against each other in college. He was a uh, sophomore when I was a senior. That's right. Yeah, and um, it was one of these in incredible games. Julius got 25 points in the first half, and there was no scouting back there, Mike. We got into the locker room, and we were the third-rated team in the nation. We were a really good defensive team, and we were like that line in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> I, had a teammate, oh, great. I had a teammate on that Penn team named Corky Calhoun. Who ended I remember up Corky team. Calhoun. Corky won a, a ring in, in, um, in Portland. And Corky went out in the second half. He held Julius to like three points. We oh. all should have just gotten on off the court and let those two guys go at it. It was great. Oh, but I knew Julius was going to be fantastic after that game. 25 in the first half. I always remember the old ABA stories where they didn't have as much video as they thought. And, and a lot of it, it was the ABA was so great because it was theater of the mind in many ways. <laughs> People could tell stories about it. And, uh, and now everything's videotaped and seen you know, ad nauseum 23 times. So, well, this has been great. Thank you, sir. And, um, and have, a, have a great uh, rest of the summer. Uh, please stay safe. And, and shoot, I look forward to having you on again. This was great. Anytime, guys. And look, stay healthy, stay safe. Yeah, you too. That was dope. All right, everybody. It's time to wrap this up. Thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, and to our editor, Ben Wolfen, that man, right? 
That is a bad co-sell. Please check out all of our other Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams just had Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin featured Micah Adams, the managing editor of DAZN and NBA.com Global. His takes are among the best you'll hear anywhere. Monica McNutt and King McClure are here each week with Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. And their most recent guest was Lauren Cox of the Indiana Fever. B.J. Armstrong is back with Eric Newman of the Pure Hoops podcast, which drops every Friday. And I'm back next Monday with a brand new edition of the Mike Wise Show from Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Listen up, friends. We are not out of the woods with the COVID-19 pandemic. So please keep all the various medical professionals and essential workers in your thoughts. They're putting it all on the line for us, and they are truly our superheroes. Continue to maintain social distancing, wash your hands, wear that mask to protect yourself and others. And please keep working for social justice with our fellow citizens of all races and religions who are striving for a more inclusive society. If you like The Mike Wise Show, please subscribe, rate us, review us, and leave a five-star rating. It'd mean a lot. Next week, we'll have honest-to-goodness NBA basketball to discuss. See you then. Peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise-Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.